scripture portion is from Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above, uh, above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault, because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdoms, the administers and the satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom, since early days. And these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you, decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who, petit- who petitions any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, who when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute with the, which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, and the purpose concerning Daniel that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting, lamenting voice to Daniel, saying, oh, to da- saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. And then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. 
I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thank you, Joseph. Good morning, church. Um, it's, a, it's good to be up here. It's a little emotional also to be up here. Um, I'd just like to take a couple of minutes to <clears throat> talk about um, what we went through for, uh, for about 45 days and just uh, praise God for the healing. Uh, several of you, in fact, the whole church has been praying for me, praying for us, in fact. So I'll just take a couple of minutes to update on... Uh, what's been happening. Um, it's, again, uh, it's an honor to be standing up here and even be, and to be able to speak. I couldn't for the last 45 days. Um, usually, uh, by God's grace, I speak every first week, the first week of every month, and I didn't speak in July because I simply couldn't open my mouth. And even if I would, I would have um, acid coming up into my mouth. I couldn't even speak to my wife at home, neither to my neighbors or anybody. And those of you who visited, will know what I'm talking about, went through a great difficulty. But um, after we prayed about it for some time, we thought we should try out some alternate system of medicine. And so we went to a different city, uh, took the medication. Now, this is nothing against the advantages or disadvantages of any kind of a medicine or any system of medicine. I'm just telling you what happened to me. Uh, so uh, we went there and we took an alternate system of medicine and uh, uh, it seemed fine, but all of a sudden... Uh, there was internal bleeding for me. And uh, when we went to the doctor, I had, I had severe pain in my stomach. When we went to the doctor, he checked my BP. BP had shot up. My heart rate had shot up. Uh, my pulse was very high, obviously, and uh, there was internal bleeding. And he said, uh, now this is dangerous. Um, and then he gave me an injection to arrest the bleeding. And he said, it was, it was late night, about 8.30 or 9 in the night. He said, uh, go back home. And if there's any emergency, tell your neighbors to drive you to Malia Hospital. They'll call me. I'll come and take care of it. So we told Pesti, should anything happen, so please drive us as soon as possible to, uh, to Malia Hospital. But by God's grace, that night nothing happened. The next morning I had to go through endoscopy. And um, um, they said uh, there were erosions in my stomach, and he gave me medicine for that. So uh, long, just long story short, just not to take much time of my sermon, um, the Lord has healed me, and, and I, I'm thankful to God for that. I am really thankful to the church for praying. Thank you, several of you visited. It was very, very kind of you. Um, special thanks to my wife, who's been with me for all these days, encouraging me, even when I couldn't speak and all of that. And, and when I don't speak, I, uh, it's just like the purpose of my life is nothing for me. Uh, so... Uh, I really thank God for her. Thank God for my parents who are here today. Um, they've been praying on the phone and all of that. My, um, special thanks to um, the sisters who came and cooked for us for about a week. And I want to say that uh, uh, this is serious. And I think all of the sisters in CBF should participate in MasterChef India Challenge. I ate some very good food for one week. Not that, does, not that my wife doesn't cook well, but uh, 
uh, all of you are great cooks, and thank you. Thank you for that love. Uh, thank you that several of you visited and prayed. I am perfectly fine in health right now. Uh, please continue to pray that I would remain so, and God would use me. And as soon as I got better, just in the last couple of days, there, were, uh, there was a barrage of phone calls, and uh, several calls came and said, can you speak here, can you speak here, and all of that. So uh, I have a lot of speaking engagements coming up. I thank God for that, but I also thank God that he took me through that period of suffering where there were a lot of learnings. And um, so from now on, um, I'm not going to take any speaking engagement for granted. Every opportunity is a mercy from the Lord. And every time you're able to open your mouth and speak God's word, it's an honor. It's all his grace. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Thank you. Thank you very much once again. <clears throat> Today is a very, uh, as is evident from the reading, it's a very famous passage. Uh, can you all hear me at the back? Sweena Stanley. Um, thank you, Joseph, for reading to us. It's a very famous story in the Bible. Um, but before that, as always, let's begin with another story. The story is told of uh, a preacher, and not me, but another preacher who had this habit of visiting Sunday school classes. So he went and visited various Sunday school classes, the first grade, the second grade, and all of that. And all of a sudden, one Sunday, he decided to visit the sixth graders. He went there and sat and... Um, they, he saw that they were doing some Old Testament stories. And so he looked at them and uh, he asked them a question, a pop quiz for you guys. He said, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And there was dead silence there. And he pointed to a couple of guys and he asked them, who, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And uh, they were very intimidated. They, both of them got up and they unanimously said, we don't know who did it, but it's not us. And uh, he was really dismayed about the answer. He looked at the teacher and he said, what do you think about the answer? And the teacher looked at this man and, he, and she said, well, you know, I've been graduating with this class for the last five years. We are in the sixth grade now. Um, so I've been seeing them right from first grade. And I know them very well. They're very honest guys. If they say they didn't do it, they really didn't do it. He was really distressed, and so he walks down the hallway, goes to the chairman of the board, and he said, you know, I went to the sixth graders, and I asked them who knocked, knocked down the walls of Jericho, and they said they didn't do it. And the man said, preacher, you know, don't make a fuss about any such thing. Let's get the walls fixed first. Let's not worry about anything, and we'll pay it out of the general fund. You know, it's a humorous little story, but it clearly points to the fact that some Christians don't know the Bible much. And they could be on the church boards, they could even be Sunday school teachers, and thankfully that's not the case with our church. But generally, around the world, Christians don't know much of the Bible. And it wouldn't be too much of a stretch for me to say that it is the same thing about the Christian life as well. People have questions about the Christian life. And I would say, rightly so, and we ought to have some questions about the Christian life. In fact, when people come and ask me questions about the Christian life, there is one question that keeps coming up often. Again, can you hear me at the back, please? <laughs> yeah? 
Okay, just, just raise your hand if you can't, okay, at some point. Thank you. So the question that comes up usually is, what can we expect when we live a life for God? What can we expect when we live the right kind of Christian life, a righteous life, or better, are there things that we'll face for sure when we live a righteous life? Are there things that I'll face for sure as a Christian when I live a righteous life or a Christian life? And the answer is not hard to find. Let's consider the story of Daniel in the lion's den today. Now, this is a story that's most loved around the world by Christians. Sunday school kids love it. Sunday school teachers love to tell it. And uh, even for uh, the Negroes who are going through a lot of stress in, in, in the times of the apartheid and all of that, uh, this was a very encouraging story for most of them. It encouraged people of God for thousands of years. But before we jump in, I want you to remember two facts that we've learned so far in the, in the last five chapters of the book of Daniel. Number one is now that Daniel is a very old man. He came into Babylon as a teenager. He was about 20 years old when he was brought by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. He's now over 80 years old. He's an old man. He's seen a couple of kingdoms. He's served under a couple of kings. Now, the king is a man by the name of Darius, who was uh, presiding over the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, the names have changed, but the spiritual challenge remains the same for Daniel. Will he remain faithful even when the pressure is on? That's the question that we're going to see. Will Daniel remain faithful under this king when the pressure is on? So today's passage will reveal to us two very simple things. It's a very simple message, and uh, it's a simple passage as well, a simple story. But two very simple uh, points with applications. It will reveal to us regarding what to expect when you live for the Lord. What to expect when you live for the Lord. I find it strange that people are sitting to my right here, so I'll have to turn this way as well. So two things when you live for the Lord, two things about what to expect when you live for the Lord. We'll have the outline up here, so please follow along as uh, we go one by one. Now, this is not for you to know when the message ends, but this is for you to follow along step by step as we go. So in verses 1 through 27, you'll see that you must expect trials to come your way when you live for the Lord. You must expect trials to come your way when you live for the Lord. When you don't compromise, sooner or later, you'll get into trouble. When you don't compromise, sooner or later, you'll get into trouble. And that's exactly what we see from the life of Daniel here. Daniel's life of integrity and commitment to God brought him face to face with the lions. It brought him face to face with the lions. And this little story transpired in three different uh, uh, scenes. The first thing, Daniel was hated by the other officials as he was successful and godly, verses 1 through 5. I won't be reading all the verses, but just for this passage, I will read it. In the other passages that are following this, uh, we will just read some scattered verses just to get the point. So verses 1 through 5. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraf, satraps should give account, so that the king might not suffer loss. The, uh, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground of complaint or fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall, uh, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel uh, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. As this chapter opens, we'll see again that Daniel is once again about to be promoted. Darius sees in this man a strength of character, integrity, and all of that. And so he is wanting to promote Daniel to be second in command over the entire kingdom of Medo-Persia. At this, obviously, the other administrators, the other high officials, the satraps, become jealous. Now, they look at Daniel and they think, who is this Jewish guy who comes all the way from uh, from Israel or Judah, and he lives here, and he's trying to be a lord above us. They get jealous, and they try to find some kind of a corruption in him just to, de- just to derail him. But they find no corruption. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of faithfulness. And finally, these men decide that we can never find a fault with him, never find a fault with him in his administration, never find a fault with him in his faithfulness. He never takes bribes. He, he's not easy on things that are unrighteous. But there's one thing that is a so-called weakness. If we find a fault with him in relation to the law of God, we can catch him. He only has one weakness, and that is the law of God. If we find a fault with him in relation to the law of God, we can catch him. Now, this is what his enemies discovered when they examined Daniel's life. Three things. Number one, he was faithful in his duties. Number two, he was faultless in his character. And number three, he was fervent in his prayers. Number one, he was faithful in his duties. He was faultless in his character, and he was fervent in his prayers. And these three marks of godliness, even unbelievers could see. These three marks of godliness, even unbelievers could see. The people who watch you at work, are people who watch me at work, know for sure whether we work hard at our job or not. They know what kind of character you and I have. And if they observe us a little close, they know whether or not we are men and women of prayer. Whatever is in your heart, Sooner or later, it will come out, and people who don't know the Lord even will know the truth about you and me. In Daniel's case, even his enemies had to admit that he had no glaring weakness. He had no glaring faults at all. And no finer thing could be said of you, no finer thing could be said of you and me than for our enemies to rise up and say, I find no fault with this man. That's what was said about Daniel. Now, Horace Greeley had a saying which Harry Truman uh, loved to quote. He said this, Fame is a vapor, popularity an accident, riches take wings, those who cheer today may curse tomorrow, only one thing endures, that is character. Those who cheer today may curse tomorrow, only one thing endures, that is character. And Daniel had that kind of a character, and Daniel was hated for his character. He was hated because he was successful, and he was hated because he was godly. And try as they might, his enemies found nothing wrong in his life. He lived so consciously in God's presence, and he was a man above reproach. But there was one so-called flaw with him. He was very, very predictable about his prayers. Everybody knew, even his enemies knew, when he would pray. 
and his enemies thought and realized if they could catch him on this aspect, they had him. You know, I'm sure you've heard this question several times. If you were arrested for being a Christian, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence? Daniel was arrested for being a prayerful man, and the evidence was overwhelming. Daniel was hated by other officials as he was successful and godly. Second thing, the officials got the king to issue an edict to trap Daniel. Verses 6 through 9. I'll just read verses verse 8 and 9 for you. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So the satraps thought they could only trap Daniel in relation to the law of God. And so they went to the king and they said, King, how would it be if you became God for about 30 days? And the king, swelling with pride, he said, Well, that'll be fun to be God for 30 days. And so let's pass an injunction. The injunction is this. According to the law of Medes and Persians, anybody who prays to anybody other than Darius himself would be put to to the lions. Would be put to the lions. Now, earlier in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put into fire. Remember that in in chapter 3? But the Babylonians, I'm sorry, the the Medo-Persians worshipped fire, and so they would not put people into fire. And they had another form of capital punishment, which is tossing people to the lions. And so the injunction was that anybody who would not follow this law would be tossed to the lions. But Darius himself had no idea that Daniel was the intended target. Daniel was the intended target. Thirdly, Daniel continued to be devoted to God even when it meant death. Daniel continued to be devoted to God, even when it meant death. Verses 10 through 17, but I'll just read verses 10 through 13 for you. Follow along, please. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. If you have the habit of underlining In your Bibles, please underline that phrase, as he had done before, as he had done previously. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, uh, who was one of the exiles uh, from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Now, what do you do when you discover that your enemies have passed a law against one person and that one person is, is you? You are that one person. And it's like walking around with a bullseye on your T-shirt. You are the target of everybody else. But how you respond at that moment of crisis, how you respond at that point, tells you much about who you are and what you're made of. Daniel here did not change a thing. When the decree was published, he went upstairs as usual to his room. He opened the windows towards Jerusalem and he started praying three times a day, just he had done before. 
Now again, notice the phrase, just he had done before. Just he had done before. Daniel was about 80 years old now. He came to Babylon when he was about 20. So at least for the last 60 years, I think it was his habit to pray three times a day. Just as he had done before, a beautiful phrase. I don't know, I'm just guessing. Perhaps he prayed at 7 a.m., 12 noon, and 5 p.m. 7 a.m., 12 noon, and 5 p.m., three times a day. It was like clockwork for him. It, his body would work according to the 7 a.m., 12 noon, and 5 p.m. If he went to a small province just to take care of the matters of that province, he would again pray at 7 a.m., 12 noon, and 5 p.m. If he was on a holiday, he would again pray at 7, noon, 7 a.m., 12 noon, and 5 p.m. You could set your watch looking at his prayer life. Now, you must remember who this Daniel is. He is one of the three most powerful men in the entire kingdom. He had such huge responsibilities, and yet he took time to pray three times a day. He took time to pray three times a day. Why do you think he took time to pray three times a day? You know, if you remember, he was living in a pagan world. He lived with Nebuchadnezzar, and now he was living with the Medo-Persians. And he knew very well that if he did not live by a scheduled prayer, he wouldn't last for long spiritually. And so prayer was so important to him that he was willing to die rather than give up his right to pray to the God of the Bible. Prayer was so important to him that he was even willing to die rather than give up his right to pray to the God of the Bible. If you stop praying, if I stop praying, the world will stop bothering us. The lions will not come to us. Your boss will think you're one of his boys. Your family will think you're back to normal again. The world will stop bothering us as well. And, you know, if, when you look at the life of Daniel, it's easy to think the number of reasons that he could have chosen not to pray for these 30 days. Well, he could have thought to himself, you know, I will shut down the, I will, I will shut uh, off the, off the windows and I'll pray in secret on the inside. Well, it's God who's listening to me, isn't it? I can do that. Or he could have thought, I'll just simply sit on the chair and pray in my heart. Nobody will know that I'm praying. Or he could have thought, it's just for 30 days. It's all right for me not to pray for 30 days. I'll just listen to the king's edict. And after 30 days, I'll start back praying to the God of the Bible. But you know, what started as a habit for 60 years will not go easy. The decision to defy the king was not made at that point. The decision to defy the king and follow God was made long back when Daniel made a commitment to God. So, Daniel continued to be devoted to God, even when it meant death. Daniel continued to be devoted to God, even when it meant death. Now, my question to myself and all of us seated here is, are you true to God, even when it may cost you? Are you true to God, even when it may cost you? You see, my dear brothers and sisters, one of the most difficult parts of the Christian life is the fact that becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ does not make us immune to trials and tribulations. It does not make us immune to trials and tribulations. We don't preach a gospel of health and wealth here. That is not biblical. We are prone to trials and tribulations, and we must expect trials and tribulations. Why would a good God and why would a loving God allow us to go through such things, such as the death of a child, 
such as a disease, such as a heart attack or a cancer or sometimes even failure in an exam. Why does a good and a loving God allow us to go through such things? These are tough questions. But the Bible clearly teaches us that all things happen for the good of them that love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Which tells me that it is only reasonable on the part of a Christian, you and I, for us to trust him and for us to be true to him even when it may cost us because even these supposed bad things and trials and tribulations are working out for our good. And all things happen for the good of them that love him who have been called according to his purpose. And through these things, God is pruning us and shaping us and allowing us to grow in maturity even as he takes us through these trials and brings us through these situations. Now, I don't know who wrote this poem, but uh, I, I suspect this was written by somebody who was in ministry or somebody who was watching somebody who was very close or somebody who was very close to somebody in ministry. Um, but this could be applied to any Christian because all of us go through trials. Now, listen to this poem, please. Uh, more often than not, it is credited to anonymity. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man, to all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts his beseeching hands, how he bends, but he never breaks, when his good he undertakes, how he uses, whom he chooses, and with mighty power infuses him, with every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. God knows what he's about. How he bends, but never breaks, and how he induces people with his mighty purpose, and God knows what he's about. When we are crying, when we are suffering and sometimes lifting our beseeching hands and crying out to him, Lord, why this? He knows what he's about. Are you going through a trial right now in your life? Or have you just come out of one? Or perhaps maybe you will enter into one? May I say this to you? It is very difficult to go through one. You know it. I know it. But may I, may I also remind you from the word of God that, that these trials are temporary. These trials are temporary. And even now, even as I speak, God is at work in my life. God is at work in your life. And he uses this pain to help others who are in need as well. And he allows us through this pain to grow into maturity. I leave you with the promise of James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. He will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. How he bends but he never breaks. How he bends but he never breaks. When, when our good he undertakes. So may I say this to you. Remain faithful to God even when it may cost you. And I say this to myself as well. So in verses 1 through 17 we saw that you must expect trials to come your way when you live for God. 
Then there's a second thing that you need to understand about what to expect when you live for the Lord, when you live that kind of a righteous life for the Lord. And that is in verses 18 to 28. And they say, you will touch the lives of unlikely people when you're faithful to the Lord. You will touch the lives of unlikely people, people that you don't expect to touch when you live for the Lord. Be careful about what you do. Be careful about what you say. Your example may be leading someone towards heaven or your carelessness may be leading somebody in a completely different direction. Here in the story, Daniel's life of faithfulness to God made King Darius praise the God of the Bible. And again, we have three scenes in which it played out. I'll be quick. First one. The Lord protected Daniel from the lions and vindicated him. Look at verses 18 to 22. Verses 18 to 22. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Now Darius the king realized that he has been tricked. And so uh, he likes Daniel. He wants to see the loopholes in this injunction and bring Daniel out. But he couldn't because it was all set according to the rules of Media, uh, Media and Persia. And if he revoked the law, it would make the king look very vulnerable. And so he didn't want to do that either. But Daniel, uh, Darius is rooting for this old Daniel. Like I said, he has seen in this man faithfulness and strength of character. What a testimony this is to the, to the reality of Daniel's faith. What a testimony this is to the reality of Daniel's faith. Even unbeliever, an unbeliever like Darius recognized faith in God and he even respected it. And so Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, which is like a pit that is dug. And then there was a side door for the lions to enter in. But then there was an entrance from the top where uh, Daniel was, would have been thrown in and there's a big rock that is set against the mouth so nobody would jump out. It was a very crude but a very effective form of capital punishment. Nobody would, uh, nobody would uh, imagine climbing out of there, let alone a man who was over 80 years old. Nobody ever got out alive. Now Daniel was as good as dead the moment he was thrown into the lion's den or so. They thought. But Daniel did three did-nots. Daniel had three did-nots, and listen to me very carefully, please. Number one, he did not try to escape the consequences of his decision to obey God. He did not try to uh, escape the consequences of his decision to obey God. Number two, he did not know what would happen. Number three, he did not make a deal with God to save himself. But when you look at the whole story, evidently, Daniel was not afraid to die. He may have suspected that God would somehow rescue him, but he wouldn't have been sure until he was actually saved. You never know. The lions may come and eat you off, and you will be found in glory the next moment. But Daniel had... I, I, I have, I'm pretty sure when I look at the life of Daniel, since we're all humans, 
I'm pretty sure he had some kind of an anxiety even as he was being carried to the lion's den. I'm pretty sure he was anxious just like any one of us would be. And I'm pretty sure he would have been even praying when he was carried to this lion's den. But as he was taken there, the mouth was open, he was dropped inside and he fell, he slid on, 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 the, on the sand there and then he would have closed his eyes tight just waiting for what might happen. Moments passed, an hour passed, a couple of hours passed. No lion came near him. There was no digging into his flesh or tearing his flesh apart. And all of a sudden we see here that an angel came and protected him. The Lord protects his people. It is for sure that the Lord did not protect him from going into the lion's den, but for sure the Lord was there with him in the lion's den and protected him. The Lord knows how to take care of his people. He knows how to protect his people. The Lord protected Daniel from the lion's den. Second, the enemies were thrown to the lions and were devoured. Verses 23 and 24. Look at verse 24 alone. The king and the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, uh, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So when Darius came rushing in the morning to check on Daniel, he found that Daniel was perfect in health. He didn't have any problem. And he came out as healthy as he went in. And so the end of the story comes very quickly. The enemies who plotted against Daniel were actually thrown into the lion's den. And uh, the lions had a good meal that day. Right? Even the bones were broken even before they touched the bottom of the pit. Thirdly, King Darius praised God through a decree that he issued. Verses 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, shall, be, to the, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Darius now offers a public praise to the God of Daniel. And he says he's a living God who endures forever. He, he rescues and he, uh, he saves. And he's the one who's delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. What an amazing set of words coming from a pagan about the God of the Bible. But would he be a pagan anymore after seeing this? I'm not sure. Maybe he's no more a pagan. Maybe he's converted just like Nebuchadnezzar was. Now, the Bible is very clear that Nebuchadnezzar was thoroughly converted, but this man we don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised tomorrow when we find him in heaven. Darius could be in heaven. So the application to all of us is this. Are you taking your testimony seriously? Am I taking my testimony seriously? Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, you and I, through our behavior, through our words, through our deeds, through our actions, make an influence on people, whether a positive one or a negative one. We always make an influence on people. You influence your family. You influence your workplace. You influence your children. You influence your church. You influence your cell group. You influence everybody around you, whether for positive things or for negative 
but we always influence people and there is no neutral ground about it. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, shares this story. Now listen to this, please. It is fascinating, but it's very troubling. He writes about his friend. He says, I have a friend whose marriage has gone through rough times. One night, George passed a breaking point and emotionally exploded. He pounded the table and floor. I hate you, he screamed at his wife. I won't take it anymore. I've had enough. I won't go on. I won't let it happen. No, no, no. Several months later, my friend woke up in the middle of the night and heard strange sounds coming from the room where his two-year-old son slept. He went down the hall, stood outside his son's door, and shivers ran through his flesh. In a soft voice, the two-year-old son was repeating word for word with precise inflection the climactic argument between his mother and father. I hate you. I won't take it anymore. No, no, no. And Yancey writes forcefully, George realized that in some awful way, he had just passed on his pain, anger, and unforgiveness to the next generation. How's your influence on the people around you, particularly children? Do you take your life and testimony so seriously that your influence on others will take them closer to Jesus Christ? How's your influence on your spouse, on your cell group members, by what you do and how you talk, what time you attend, how you behave, on your church members, at our workplaces? We never know who's watching us or what they're looking for. But this chapter teaches us that not every unbeliever hates the Christian. Not every unbeliever hates the Christian. There are some unbelievers who are rooting for us, who want our God to triumph because they want what we have and they're looking for what we have. And when we rise up to the occasion, we influence people. And Darius was influenced by Daniel and Darius started praising God, the God of the Bible. A very successful businessman shared his conversion story. He seemed he had a, it seemed he had a Christian friend and the Christian friend did not share the gospel with him, but just went through his motions, everyday motions, just like a Christian would have to. And this businessman looking at the Christian friend watched him go through his problems with grit and with courage and joy, watched him take the pains of his life well. And when, at the end of it all, after one month, he looked at his Christian friend and he said, I want what you have. I want what you have. And that's his conversion story. So my question is, are you taking your testimony seriously? Be careful about what you do. Be careful about what you say. I ought to be careful about what I do. I ought to be careful about what I say. Because through my behavior, through my influence, I could, be, I could either be leading people towards heaven or through my carelessness, leading people in a completely different direction. So what's the point of this morning's sermon? The whole chapter basically says, when we live for the Lord... We will face trials, but we will certainly inspire unlikely people. When we live for the Lord, we will face trials, but we will certainly inspire unlikely people. In the days to come, we will face all kinds of hostility, especially when we look at what's happening in India politically. We will face all kinds of hostilities, and those who serve the Lord will not have an easy way ahead. 
But if we live the kind of life that we ought to live as Christians, we will influence unlikely people. We will influence people in power and people who watch us from a distance will believe in the God of the Bible, that the God that you and I worship. So two things we've learned. I don't have it here, so let me just read it out. Number one, can you help me out? You must expect trials to come your way when you live for the Lord. Number two, you will touch the lives of unlikely people when you're faithful to the Lord. Now, just to sum it all up, let me finish with an illustration um, about a man by the name of John Harper. You may have heard of this Scottish evangelist, John Harper. He was born into a Christian family on May the 28th, 1872. At the age of 13, he became a Christian, and uh, he started preaching at the age of 17. He was one of the youngest preachers, a fine preacher he was. So at the age of 17, he started a church that began with 25 people. And 13 years later, after he left, when he, when he left the church, the church had a strength of about 500 people. He went through a lot of tough things in his life, not the least of which was the death of his wife, who left with him his six-year-old daughter, Nena. But all of a sudden, in 1912, he was called to the U.S. to come and pastor Moody Church. And he was on the Titanic. Now you place it in the context. He was on the Titanic sailing. And in 1912, he was sailing on the Titanic with his six-year-old daughter, Nena. After the ship went and struck an iceberg and it started breaking, um, he took his little daughter, Nena, immediately put her into a lifeboat, and then he started running up and down the ship that broke already, uh, uh, shouting out, um, women, children, and unsaved people get into the lifeboats. Women, children, and unsaved people get into the lifeboats. And anybody he could find in that, in that scurry of activity, he caught them and he tried to share the gospel with them at that point. But the, the high point of the story came years later, when um, a man in, the, in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada, was in a prayer meeting, and he stood up to share a testimony about this man, Harper. The man said, I am one of the survivors of Titanic. In fact, there were just six people who survived on the lifeboats, men he's talking about, and I am one of them. When I was holding on to a plank of wood from the ship, there was this guy by the name of Harper from Glasgow who was also holding on to another plank of ship, uh, plank of the ship, and he came closer to me. And the question he asked me is, are you saved? And I said, no, I'm not saved. And just through providence, a wave took him away and brought him back again. Five minutes later, he comes and asks the question, are you saved now? I said, no, I am, I'm not saved. And holding on to the plank, he shared the gospel. He gave me the life jacket, and then he went and drowned. He said, with two miles of sea beneath me, holding on to a plank, as I heard the gospel, I came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And six people in the lifeboat, men were saved, 1,522 drowned, and he, the man who was sharing the testimony, was the last convert of John Harper. We go through trials, and yet we might influence unlikely people when we live for the Lord. Thank you for your patience, and I thank God for giving me the strength as well. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us very clearly. Although the events transpired in the 6th century before Christ, they speak to our situation today very clearly. Father, we understand that 
As Christians, we ought to expect trials. We go through trials and tribulations, but you know what you're doing in our lives. You're pruning us. You're shaping us. Give us the strength to go through each one of them with grit, with joy, understanding and knowing that at the end of it, we have a crown of life that is laid for us. Father, I also pray that we'd we'd be able to live a kind of life that will influence others positively and for the kingdom of God. We want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the congregation. Thank you for the time of worship. And even as we um, depart now for a time of fellowship and come back for the uh, couples meeting, Lord, I pray that you you, you would lay your hand of blessing upon that meeting as well. Pray for John Paul, who's going to be taking the study. I pray that you would put your words into his mouth and help him to take the study well to the glory and the honor of your name. In Jesus' name I pray.